and welcome to Undercommon Taste, a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. This is the podcast where we stir the pot and lick the spoon. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm here with my co-host James Daly. Today we are going to be outfitting the first character for our homebrew showcase. In our last couple episodes we went through the race, editing the orc for this character, and then in the last episode we went through the champion fighter with our edits for that. And so today we are coming up with a few magic items for the three different levels that we're going to be playtesting this character at. We each created one item at each of the three levels. So we each created an item for level three, an item for level 11, and an item for level 20. So this is a good way to start. And like we discussed towards the end of last session, I believe it was, going through, our players are going to be a little better equipped than most characters would be, at least at third level, because they're going to be coming in with two rare or uncommon items, particularly at third level, that's going to be a little heavier than what most players or most teams are going to give their characters. But we did kind of want to work with how we world build and how we do actually homebrew these items and content. So in this case, we're just going to roll with it. And it's Christmas. It is Christmas. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start off with my level three item. I'm calling it the Amulet of Vitality. It's a necklace, and this necklace is a plain yet well-carved holy symbol strung on a simple leather cord. While worn, it infuses the wearer with vitality, allowing them to recover from wounds and physical strain more quickly. Whenever you spend a hit die for healing, you gain an additional 1d4 hit points per hit die spent. That sounds pretty good. My item, too, actually went towards giving our fighter some extra health. It sounds like we're throwing a lot of health on this fighter, which by and large I'm okay with. We're not stacking a lot of armor on him, so I'm okay with giving him some extra health that way. The birds hear me talk and they want to join in the conversation. If I remember correctly, I think your item gives them additional hit points, right? Yeah, it was giving him hit points back. I was going to do a sort of false life, which I can do, because I kind of like that if you're not paying attention to it, those hit points will drop off eventually, which I still might. Though I like the idea I sent you last night where you get so many hit points, you get like half your hit points back from a critical blow that kills. We can discuss either one of those. I can bring both up. I was going to kind of bring here's where I was kind of between these two. Well, you go ahead and read off what you got for that first one, and then we'll we'll discuss the two of them together, how they synergize, and how we can play with them a little bit to kind of balance them out a little. Okay, so going back, we're not stacking a lot of hit points or a lot of health back onto this fighter, so I'm okay with that. We're not stacking him full of armor, so I think giving him the extra health, we're not going to drain our healer too terribly much. The healer can focus on the other party members a bit more. So my level three item, I was thinking I'm terrible at naming things. I kind of want to name it the King's Promise or something along those lines because it's a necromantic blade. It's a necromancer's blade. Once per rest, you can trigger the necromantic spell False Life. So you get 1d4 plus your intel modifier extra hit points. But at the end of the hour, you lose those hit points, which again, that kind of goes with the There's no such thing as a free lunch. Plus, it keeps your character where if your character uses that and gets, say, five hit points back, and you finish your battle, and you've got four hit points left, and you're running through, but you're not paying attention, or you forgot that you used this ability, and you decide not to rest, but you're going to go travel the trail, or you're going to go loot a chest or whatever, and that hour runs up, you lose those hit points at the end of the hour. 
So that's what's kind of neat about that false life spell that I really think is really interesting. Well, the thing about false life is it gives you temporary hit points. And the mechanics of temporary hit points is that you lose your temporary hit points before you lose your hit points. Gotcha. So the temporary hit points that you would gain from the false life would be used first before your actual health pool. Well, that's not half as fun. But still, it gives you a good little extra cushion. In that case, I would stack that. I would try to flip those somehow, and that would be a world-building thing at that point. Again, I read a lot of Heinlein in college, unfortunately, so that there's no such thing as a free lunch really builds into a lot of my lore ideas and a lot of my world-building, personally. Yeah, so your options that you were bringing were either that or whenever you land a critical hit, you recover half of the damage dealt as healing? Yeah, and I thought that could be good. And if that was going to be too much or too prevalent of healing, half of the hit points if your critical hit kills. And again, that ties into the whole concept of a necromancer's blade or a necromantically crafted blade for this orc fighter. So if you kill the target creature, then half of the damage you got on your critical roll would come back to you as health. Okay, we would have to potentially put a limiter on that so that we don't run into a bag of rats situation where they just carry around a bunch of critters with a couple of hit points so that way you can just kill something real quick and recover all your health one or two hit points at a time. Well, it doesn't matter if you kill it. It has to be a kill from a critical strike. So even if you carry it around a bag of rats, at level three you'd have, well, you just got your... You've just gotten your improved critical, so you're got a 10% crit chance. Right, so 1 in 10. So if you have a bag of rats, then sure, you throw out 10 rats on the ground. You've got a 1 in 10 for 1 or 2 hit points. As a DM, I'd make them play the, okay, so you freaked everybody out with a bag of rats, so now your party's freaking out. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah, I think throwing it as in, it has to be a crit. Uh, yes. Because so- you've already got your, it's not your second wind, it's your, yeah, it's your second wind. So you've got your second wind, that's giving you some health. We've got the necklace that you've given, so that's giving health. But it's it, hope- it's only giving health on a short rest, so you're not able to heal in, in combat. combat. Gotcha. And so with this, plus hopefully there's a healer or maybe more in the party. Cross our fingers, unless... I think we're planning on putting a cleric in this party. We're planning on putting a cleric in the party, but it depends on what the player's role. I mean, if a player grabs this character and says, hey, this character looks awesome, and then everybody else wants to roll, you know, four rogues and a sorcerer or, or whatever. For our party, it'd work great, but you want to consider party balance. So I like the caveat for the critical strike. I like the concept for false life. And since your necklace would only trigger during a rest, I think once per rest being able to use false life would work really well. Yeah, I think that one, just from a mechanical standpoint, that one does work a bit better. Particularly Uh, at low levels. Yeah, especially at low levels. And this will be something that they're going to gradually, they're going to level out of it. And that's something that's supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get a sword at third level and keep it to 20th level. Says you, I get attached to my magical items. (laughs) But that's me. And like I said, that critical sword would definitely scale better at higher levels. That'll be something I throw into the bag of tricks later on. And again, that's another thing we we had discussed off-cast between the two of us, is actually maybe building some long-term items that do level with the character, and that kind of a critical strike sword would actually be a good start, I think, on that. Yeah, because especially if you're giving it to a third-level player, something with an effect that big on it, I wouldn't actually give it a bonus to attack and damage rolls. I wouldn't make it a plus-one sword with that on it. I would hold off 
until about sixth, seventh level before I gave someone a plus one sword with that on it. Oh yeah, definitely. For that, I would just be a sword with that extra ability. So our third level character is going to be getting, again, your necklace where you get the extra health per hit die. How's that working again? Yeah, whenever you spend a hit die, you get an additional 1d4 hit points per die you spend. That sounds, yeah, so that's good. And then we'll have, so when you're in the thick of battle, you've got your 1d4 plus your intel modifier, which... Well, why don't we just straight up make it once per short rest, you can cast False Life, which would be 1d4 plus 4 in the text of the spell. Okay, because in the text of the spell, I believe it's 1d4 plus int, but... No, I have it here in front of me. Bolstering yourself with a necromantic facsimile of life, you gain 1d4 plus 4 temporary hit points for the duration. Let's go with that then. Alright, so I think it should still be an action to use. So as an action, you can cast False Life on yourself... And then once you use it, you have to take a short or long rest to use it again. Uh, do you want to use it as an action or as a bonus action? Well, the spell itself is an action. Spell is an action. That is true. I don't like taking spells and reducing their cast time. So Okay. And that's perfectly fair, and that makes a lot of sense. So as an action, you'd be able to cast False Life on yourself once per rest? Yep. Or do you want to limit that to once per long rest? Um, I think it's a small enough chunk you know, it's five to eight temporary hit points. At these lower levels, that's still one hit from a goblin. Granted. So. All right, we've got our level three items. So do we want to go ahead and talk about how things are broken up between rare, com- or rare, uncommon, I got this flipped, uncommon, rare, very rare. Legendary or artifact. Did, yeah, I think we brushed up on those a bit earlier, but just in case we haven't or I forgot or somebody else forgot because it's been a week and I've slept since the last podcast and (laughs) I've forgotten half of what we covered. Yeah, so I went through, luckily there was someone online who had already done this for me, just went through a list of the magic items in the Dungeons Master's Guide broken down by rarity. So starting off with your common magic items, there are only three things listed as common magic items. It's a basic potion of healing, a potion of climbing, and spell scrolls. Those are the only common magic items in the Dungeon Master's Guide. I know that Xanthar's Guide to Everything had a bunch of magic items in it. I haven't dug through those in a while, so I couldn't really comment on those. But once you start getting into your uncommon items, all of your basic plus one magic items, ammo, weapons, armor, all of those are uncommon. If they're just a plus one with nothing else on them. So... For me, trying to figure out how the common uncommon items work, it's like going to the fair, and I like food. So for me, your common items is like finding cotton candy at the fair. You're going to find a cotton candy or a fresh-pressed lemonade booth every 10 feet or so. They're everywhere. They're good, but they're everywhere. Your uncommon items are going to be the place that has the really good sausage, or like the deep-fried Twinkies or Oreos, you know, they're just a little bit better Then the everyday booth, you might have a certain one that's been known to put on some extra toppings or give you just a little bit extra. Maybe they'll take that deep fried Twinkie and dip it in some chocolate for you. That's your uncommon, where it's not every booth has the same thing. This one's just a step above everybody else. Your rare items are kind of when they have that one thing that you go to the fair for. So growing up, the fair I went to had the absolute best cinnamon rolls. They were sit there, they were soft. They were fresh, they were gooey, they were covered in nuts because I happen to enjoy some nuts on my cinnamon rolls. They had this amazing frosting. It's been years since I've been to my hometown fair and I still like 
right now I, I miss it. It's about getting close to that time of year, even for me. So I'm thinking about it's almost cinnamon roll time. So that's that rare item where no matter what, as long as that's there, it's still a good event. Your legendary or artifact items are those so far beyond the pale. People write news stories about it. Like the Michelin chef that grew up in your county decides to pop a booth and give Michelin three-star gourmet food at your fair because he wants to give back to his community. That's kind of what your legendary thing is. So again, a common item. Yeah, it's a, it's a magical health potion. That's common. You're going to find those at any kind of general shop or alchemist shop in your town. They're going to be everywhere. Our level three, we're kind of starting with our uncommon. So you're not going to find this at any given shop. It's kind of one of those things where it's going to be special. Your characters are going to be happy to have, particularly at level three, that uncommon item. And the way that I like to think of it in terms of gameplay, an uncommon item is something that your average soldier might have especially if you have someone who's like a sergeant in an army that one little thing that they get as an indication of rank the uncommon items are what your average adventurers are going to have what your average monster hunters are going to have the very basic run-of-the-mill okay yeah here's this group of five guys that we're just going to hire to go take care of our knoll problem I could see that. So it's not a wood chopping axe. You paid a little extra for this slightly heavier, better balanced, sturdier axe. But it's more than that because it is actually something that has been enchanted. It is something that has a magical property to it. Theoretically, anybody can get their hands on a nice weapon. But getting your hands on a magical weapon is something special. That makes sense. Yeah, and I get that. That's that rarity. It's not the thing you're going to come across all the time. And even in something like D&D where there's magic items everywhere, it's not the thing you're going to stumble to on your everyday loot table. The leader of the bandit clan is probably going to have a couple of uncommon magic items. That makes sense. But when you get to the rare items, the level bracket for rare items is, for me, about level 8 to level 12. And so these are the items that the people that everyone has heard of are going to be carrying. These are, you know, um, trying to think of a good real-world example of the sort of person who would... Professional athletes. Someone like a Tom Brady or a LeBron James or someone like that. If they were a fighter instead of a sports ball player, they would have the rare items. These are the people that the common people know their names. I would see these almost like the old idea of the medieval family heirloom. This sword has been passed down from my father, from his father, and his father before him. Absolutely. Uh, The sword probably or axe probably has a name. Yeah, rare items are probably going to have names, and they are going to be heirloom items. They are of a quality that they will pass down generation to generation, and largely because you have to have a certain amount of affluence to get them. An uncommon item is likely to change hands because the class bracket that would have these items, they're the people who are going to be, well, they're going to have the short life expectancy because they're getting themselves into the dangerous situations where they need them and they're more likely to get into a situation where they have to sell their uncommon magic items to some other adventurer to make ends meet yeah that totally makes sense so your rare item is going to be that heirloom item your pawn shop owner is going to want to call his friend that knows about these kinds of things type thing like that it's not the everyday yeah you're not going to 
walk into a store and find rare magic items on the shelf. They may have one or two in the fancy display case, but they're and not. And that's when you cast Fireball. <laughs> no, because they're going to have the arcane protections on that case because they're going to be protecting that investment. That's right. Because that goblin insurance is crazy expensive. Yeah, no kidding. And then your very rare items. These are the magic items that the upper nobility is going to be having. These are the top-of-the-line magic items that you're going to run into. The king's sword is going to be a very rare magic item. The hammer that the king's champion wields is going to be a very rare magic item. The highlight of the dragon's horde is going to be this very rare magic item. There may be one or two in the entire kingdom. Yeah, you can go into, say, the main temple of the major god of your region, and there may be one holy relic item on display that's going to be a very rare item. When you get to the legendary items, there's only one or two of them in existence. These are like Molnir or the Spear of Longinus. No, those are going to be artifacts. Okay. Well, I figured legendary and artifacts, I thought they were on the same level more or less. Artifacts are unique items that are complete world changers. Okay. The Hand and Eye of Vecna are artifacts. The Sword of Kaz is an artifact. They are these magic items that are central to stories that have basically become mythology. So the Spear of Achilles or the Bow of Odysseus, those would be artifacts. Artifacts are, by their very nature, unique. There's only one of them, and they may have started off as a legendary quality item, but they were involved in some story, in some pivotal point in the world that, by their being there, they were imbued with something extra. Okay. Yeah, I can get behind that, and that makes some sense. And so they are close to a level. The artifacts are just a touch higher. Going ahead and moving into our level 11 items, now that we've taken a little bit of time to explain the breakdown of magical items as we view them. My level 11 item for this guy is going to be a pair of magic gloves. These gloves are fashioned from coarse leather with crude totemic images of bears embossed on their backs. As a bonus action, you may activate the gloves, giving you advantage on all attack rolls you make and on all attacks made against you until the start of your next turn. Once you use this item, you must complete a short or long rest before you may use it again. So it is a pair of gloves that allows the wearer to gain the barbarian's reckless attacks once per rest. That's actually kind of a fun mechanic. I like that, particularly as you start getting your extra attack swings in. Yeah, because uh, at level 11, the fighter gets their second extra attack, so they're getting three attacks per round. They can action surge to get six attacks on a round, and the action surge doesn't take their bonus action. It specifically says that they still get their bonus action, so you can blow your bonus action, pop the gloves, make six attacks with advantage. And then hopefully not get pummeled directly after. Yeah, well, I should hope that if you have six attacks with advantage and you're critting on a 1920, that you're going to pretty well demolish anyone really close to you. You're really hoping until your dice decide to completely hate you <laughs> and they go sit in the dice jail. 
I like that. That sounds like a really fun mechanic. I like that a lot. I don't think we need to tinker with that one too much. That sounds fairly sound. So We had talked about possibly making them a plus one AC. Yes, we did talk about that. And again, that comes back to the hopefully you don't get pummeled. Because if you're fighting a hill giant and you're taking those six swings with advantage, you'll probably... You might not drop it outright, but you'll probably do enough damage to it, and that's fine. But if you're in, say, a mob of goblins and you're taking those six swings, how many of those six are going to hit even with advantage? And then what's left? Because now you've done pissed everybody off. Well, I mean, if you're level 11 and you're surrounded by goblins, you're pretty much going to be killing one goblin per swing regardless. Unless they're higher level gobos. I mean, yeah, if you could scale them up, I suppose. If you're just going off of the bog standard monster manual goblin, That's they've, got, fun. <laughs> they've got like seven or eight hit points. But what I mean, if you're in a mob of critters, so if you've got a wide board versus a tall board, as they like to say in some games, a wide board meaning you've got a bunch of critters around a tall board, meaning you've got like one or two just big beefy things. A wide board, if you miss with a couple of those, even with advantage, you've got a lot of angry eyes on you now. That's when you call on your allies to mop up after you're done. Right, right. So I do like the plus one. These are legendary, or not legendary, but these are definitely your... These are rare. Your, these are your rare items, and so they should be known. So the reckless attack is a nice thing to have. A little extra flavor. So yeah, I mean, this thing should be known. Sure, you can find reckless attack gloves some places, but these are the good ones. So yeah, I, I like the plus one AC to them as well. And I do want to mention that both of my items so far have been items that require attunement. It's something that we probably should bring up, mainly because you only get three attunement slots. You can only be attuned to three items at a time. So you kind of want to pick what those items are. Now, I've not looked at the attunement process too terribly in depth recently how do you go about unattuning an item you unattune to an item by taking it off and deciding that you're not attuned to it anymore basically you write it a dear john letter and break its heart kind of attuning to an item requires a short rest only a short rest i thought it took a long rest no it only requires a short rest oh that's way too easy and this totally gives me an idea of making a scorned attune item, like you are attuned to your cloak of protection, and you exchange it for something else, and now this cloak is heartbroken and bitter, and it's looking out for you now, and it's going to find you, and it's going to make you pay. <laughs> this might need to happen later on. So what's yours? So my item is a uh, patchwork of sorts. It's going to be scale armor, but it's scale armor made up of various chromatic dragon scales. This should have a name. Unfortunately, I'm absolutely terrible at naming things, so it doesn't have a name yet. At the beginning of each combat, the first elemental or magical type attack that hits you, you become resistant to for the rest of combat. So we're covering all the dragon colors, poison, frost, fire, lightning, acid, and we're throwing in necrotic because lich dragons are a thing. Yay, Draco liches. Yes! Um... And so any type of magical damage you become resistant to, whatever the first damage that hits you. I'm stumbling all over my words right now. The first magical energy attack that hits you, you become resistant to for the rest of that combat scenario or combat round. And resistance means you take half damage. Right. So again, it doesn't require rest to use. It triggers each combat as long as there's some sort of magical attack involved. You get your regular scale armor goodness, so it's still a heavyish armor. You are going to get disadvantage to your stealth checks. That might be something we want to throw in on top of that if you wanted to, to get rid of that. I could see it's well-fitted, perhaps. 
I would actually leave the disadvantage on stealth, but make it at least plus one. Okay. And again, that sounds reasonable. Yeah, because if we're making this a rare magic item, a plus one armor on top of that effect would work. Because plus one armor by itself is an uncommon item, and so you start tacking things onto it, it increases the rarity. Okay. And again, that kind of gives people a way and an idea to, I've got this, how do I make it a little better? How do I go from uncommon to rare to legendary or very rare? You can just take something you have, you like the components, just add that extra little blip to it. Alright, so moving along to the level 20 item. Mine's more of a very rare item. When Ian came up with his, uh, mine, I was totally underwhelmed with mine. I kind of liked <laughs> how mine was going with things, and Ian told me his, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to take mine, ball it up, and throw it right out, because that's amazing. So I was thinking, as we talked before with the warrior class, the wisdom save is definitely an issue. Drawing from some of my comics that I used to love way back when, I was thinking something kind of like Magneto's helmet. Give it a good, solid plus two to armor, give you an automatic save against any wisdom check. It's just a solid helm. You've got a good plus two. You've got an automatic save whenever you need it. I wouldn't go so far as to give an automatic save. That would make you basically immune to anything that required as a wisdom saving throw. And, so definitely and, advantage. What else could we put on there to give it? Because if we had a plus I would, I would two say, plus I would say, advantage on wisdom... I, think, I would say either give you advantage on wisdom saving throws or make you proficient with wisdom saving throws. You would get to add your proficiency bonus. For a level 20 item, I would almost be willing, since we're only really giving you a plus two on this helm, I would say give you proficiency and advantage. Because you're not getting a whole lot of... Or if we're just knocking that up one and one and one, we've got a plus two, so that makes you rare. So yeah, I guess very rare would be one or the other. Yeah, because mathematically speaking, gaining advantage is roughly the equivalent of getting a plus five bonus. If you average everything out statistically, you get a plus five bonus when you get advantage. So if you give them advantage versus giving them proficiency, you're going with either giving them an average of a plus you, five or a constant plus six. I would give them proficiency at that point just to make it, well, my heart wants to go for chaos and roll your dice. Let's go ahead and make them proficient with the wisdom saving throws. This will work really well with the champion as we have modified it, because as we've modified the champion at this point, they're already proficient with three saving throws. Right. And so that adds that fourth A and it kind of rounds them out. That leaves them not proficient with Intelli what's left. Intelligence or charisma. Gotcha. Yeah, that helmet should work pretty well, actually. Especially the plus two AC on it. That'll be great because that's the average AC bonus for a shield. And where we're a great sword wielding fighter can't really use a shield, so that plus two to the AC with that will be great. Right, gives you that little bit of not dying today. Yeah, I am a huge fan of that little bit of not dying today. So, I'm a fan of making magic items. Especially, specifically, magical weapons. It was really hard for me to not just make three magical weapons for this character. <laughs> because magical weapons are my favorite thing in the world. And so I made an artifact for this guy based on the lore of my homebrew world, the, the world that I run my games in. And I touched on this a little bit in the orc episode where I was talking about the background that I have for my orcs, where they once had this thriving empire. They're this 
Mayan Aztec analog to my world. And then these humans showed up and decided that they wanted what the orcs had and decided to kill all of them to get it. And so that's why the orcs are now nomads, because the humans drove them off into the wilds. And so I decided to make an artifact that tied into the fall of that empire. And I'm na- I named it Akranosh the Soul Drinker. Again, where I'm terrible at naming things, Ian is amazing at naming things. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> so so it, it is a great sword, so it is a 2d6 two-handed heavy weapon. And the whole thing behind it is... It is a weapon that runs off of my other favorite mechanic of charges. So it can hold a maximum of five charges, and when you find it, it has 1d4 charges on it. Charges are a great way to balance an item. We've kind of touched on that before, balancing things, and charges are a way that you don't use it every combat, and it's just that's the thing the guy's using all the time. So you limit how often they got, so they really got to think of when they're going to pop that use, which makes it, it makes the character think about what they have and what resources they have, which to me adds a lot to any kind of game. And this is me playing with the charges concept a little bit, because it's usually you have a pool of charges that you get after a long rest or every so often, and you spend them to use the item. And when you run out of charges, you can't use the item anymore. I wanted to flip that a little bit. So the way that this weapon works is it has a maximum of five charges, And you get a plus one bonus to your attack and damage rolls, as well as to your strength decks and con saving throws for each charge the weapon has. So the more charges you get, the bigger and badder this weapon is. So say you had a full, was it max at five charges or max at four? Yeah, if you have all five charges, it is basically a plus five greatsword that gives you a plus five to your strength decks and con saves. Nice. And you gain one charge each time it is used to deal a killing blow to a creature that is not an orc. Because the way that I have the orcish blood magic that they used in my world is it was developed in such a way that non-orcs can't use it. I'm loving this so far. I mean, you've got this giant sword. It's awesome. And yet you've got your magical properties which we haven't talked about the charges do, but if you start using those charges, it becomes just a little less so. And you recharge it by feeding it the blood of your enemies. What's better? And I, we need to work out a limiter to this because I don't want it to be a bag of rats situation. So there needs to be a limiter on what sort of creatures qualify to give it a charge. Because I don't want them to go through and start keeping a bag of rats on them and, you know, they use a charge on an attack, and then on the next turn, they just reach in and they kill a rat with it to gain a charge back. I think we may have discussed a good mechanic at the beginning of the episode. By the time we're level 18, we've got a 15% critical chance. Uh, I say a critical strike on a non-orc replaces a charge. Okay. Yeah. So instead of a killing blow, whenever you land a critical hit... On a non-orc. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we could do that. I think that feels good. You've got a 15% chance, not quite a 2 out of 5 chance to roll. So you can kind of use it. You can measure how you're going to use your charges, kind of save at least a couple back and wait for those dice to really get hot. 
yeah so yeah that that will actually work that'll actually work really well especially with the champion fighter and then we get to the what you can do with your charges you may spend one charge to use one of the following abilities as a reaction you may spend one charge to automatically succeed on an intelligence wisdom or charisma saving throw on a successful attack you may maximize your weapons damage roll this does not affect any damage from additional sources, such as a Paladin's Divine Smite. That could be a lot of fun. There's the various cleric abilities where they can maximize their spell damage for, for certain domains. That's always fun to roll. So I think in that pinch, or if you're just really angry at that, that so, one bird that just wants to keep interrupting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to maximize damage on a parakeet. <laughs> but that's the one that you save for that critical hit. Yeah, definitely. You've got four or five charges on this. You score a critical hit. You go ahead and blow that one charge so that you don't flop on your crit. You just deal the automatic 24 damage with the weapon attack plus your bonuses. That would feel so good. And then the third thing is on a successful attack, you may force the target to make a DC 18 constitution saving throw or take 2d10 necrotic damage per charge on the weapon. The target takes half damage on a successful save, and the wielder gains healing equal to half the damage dealt up to their maximum hit points. I think the 2d10 per charge might be a little much, unless you're blowing each charge that you're going to use. At that point, I say you could use as many charges as you want. So if you wanted to make, here's 5d10 necrotic damage, then you're going to have to blow all five charges. Because if you're doing 50 points of necrotic damage on a single strike, and you can do that four or five times in a row... Well, see, the limiter that I have on this one is you can only spend one charge per turn. Okay, that does limit it a little bit better. I still think a spell dropping 5d10 necrotic damage is... Well, it would be 10d10 if you had five charges, because it's 2d10 per... Yeah, so you're going to drop 100 points of necrotic damage, potentially? Because your con saving throw you had is fairly high... Was a fairly high save as yeah, well. It's a, it's a DC 18 con save. That's a really high con save. Yeah, so you're basically... Here's an instant 100 points of... <laughs> I think that's a little OP right there. I would... Unless you want to blow all your charges at once, then well, maybe... It would, it would average out to 55 if you just averaged it. Because 2d10 averages to 11. Okay. So you would average out at 55 if you had five charges on your... That just sounds a little heavy to me. Um, and, and then, I'm not sure how you want to scale that back a touch. And then you would, if you hit for 55, then you would get 27 points of healing. I would change that from 2d10 to 1d10, perhaps. Or maybe 2d6. Yeah, 2d6 per... That would be a good because that Because that would be going back to the base damage of the weapon, which is 2d6. And that makes sense. Either that or make the con save something very achievable. Not super achievable, but a 12 or a 15 maybe? Because an 18's just... Well, it's an artifact. It's supposed to be endgame god killer stuff. Granted, granted. I mean, this is the sword that you take when you're going to fight the Tarrasque. Right. I, I could see that. So yeah, I think a 2d6 necrotic damage per charge at your higher con save would work. 2d10 per charge, particularly when you have all your charges. Just sounds a little heavy to me. How about, we would love to hear from you guys at this point. Let's see if we can crowdsource this one and what do you guys think? This one, I think, is a little heavy. The sword's amazing. This would be, like Ian said, this is a god killer, basically, which is kind of awesome to have towards the end of the game. This is something your level 20 characters waiting in the things of legend and lore 
I totally get that. As a character you're wanting to play, like I said, we'll get to play test this as well. But email us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. Check out Hopping on our Twitter, undercommontaste, UCT. At, at UCT Homebrew. <laughs> yes. But what do you guys think about this? Because I would love to see this sale, but I don't know if... I don't know. I'm just... I'm on the fence on this one. I really am. I'm feeling pretty okay about dropping the damage to 2d6 for actually spending charges on this. That seems a little bit better. I will admit I didn't really look at too many of the actual artifacts to get an idea of what they have going for them. Something like the Sword of Kaz or the Axe of the Dwarvish Lords. But yeah, so I like the limiter to this chunk of necrotic damage in that as you use it, it becomes less effective. I enjoy that as well. I think that was a really good attribute you put into the sword. And you really thought that part out. I like that. As you use it, it does become a little bit weaker. So you have to decide whether it's more important to have the base bonus to your attack and damage or to have this big burst of damage. Right. Or that I need a save now. And that is a wonderful, wonderful mechanic you built into that. I absolutely applaud you for that. That's stellar. And then... I do actually have one other chunk of stuff. So if a non-orc attempts to attune to this weapon, or if they attempt to attack an orc with it, they take 2d10 necrotic damage per charge on this weapon. If the damage would kill the creature, the weapon gains a charge, and that creature cannot be revived except by a true resurrection or wish spell. If the damage does not kill the creature, the creature's maximum hit points are reduced by an amount equal to the necrotic damage dealt, and the creature cannot regain them or gain the benefits of a long rest for 1d6 plus 3 days. This effect can be removed by a greater restoration or wish spell. I like this. I'm not sure how frequently this would enter gameplay, unless someone wanted to go and like grab dude's sword because he dropped it, and then he's just going to use it. This would be kind of one of those tricky things a DM threw in. Here's the shiny thing. Don't Th grab the shiny thing. Oh no. This is more of a nod to the lore. This is the blood magic that was used to create it that is designed so that non-orcs can't use it against orcs. So that their enemies can't use their weapons against them. And I was going to get into that. As far as the lore of the weapon, that's wonderful and amazing, so I like it. Definitely want to keep it in. I don't think mechanics-wise into a game that would be used too terribly often. Though when it does pop up, here's the DM, here's what you got, you know, by the way. Yeah. So that would be a fun thing to throw in into an in-game type thing. Like I said, mechanically... That is something that you throw in whenever your players tend to attune to items without casting Identify on them first. Yeah. That's a fun thing to do. <laughs> and then the last little thing is, for purposes of attunement and ability triggers, half-orcs are considered orcs by this weapon. Fair enough. I like that. I absolutely love this weapon. This was just a beautiful, beautiful item crafted by Ian. It was absolutely, like I said, Ian came up with this and I had my helmet. And I'm like, my helmet's made of tinfoil and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually like it. I like your helmet. It's a good, solid magic item. I mean, it, it, it doesn't good. have a bunch of bells and whistles. It has a purpose. It, it suits its purpose very well. Yes, it's not fancy. This is very much the Corinthian helm without the nice officer's crest. It's going to keep your brains in your head. That's what a helmet's supposed to do when it does it well. But your sword is a thing of lore and beauty. And like I said, I just I stand and applaud. That was a glorious piece you made. So thank you for that. That's awesome. I love making high-end magical weapons just 
artifacts in general, because there's so much that you can throw onto them. You can dig into the lore of your world and pull out this one abstract little thing and just flesh it out and make an entire magic item out of it. And I love doing that. And that's the magic. And that's the, like I said, when we talked about homebrew and world building, that's where you can really kind of go in and grab things and tinker with them. And you can make something awesome, something memorable, and something that's just not run right off the presses. So, One of my favorite magic items that I have ever made is one that I gave to an NPC of mine. The first time they met him, this was actually the campaign that you were in with me, the, the all-nighter campaign. One of my NPCs had what looked like an eye patch that was sort of strapped to his face but instead of it being an opaque piece of leather or something it was a cut ruby eye patch and the eye patch was actually a lens of true sight i vaguely remember this yes yet he was able to close the one eye and look out through this lens with his other eye and look as if through true seeing that would be an awesome thing to have it was the opposite of a beer goggle yeah, it really is the opposite of a beer goggle. <laughs> but that would also be something that I wouldn't give a player until extreme endgame. Yeah, so, I mean, it looks like we've got our fighter set up. And we've got an orcish champion fighter. And we've got him geared out. Do we actually want to take the time later on and roll the character out? Or are we going to do a point-by system? How do we want to do that? Uh I think we'll either do point by or we'll do standard point spread. Okay. And we'll get together off stream and flesh him out. And again, assumption, I kind of was thinking, you know what? I like the idea. We talked been saying him on this, but I kind of almost want to make this a female orc champion and just let her go and wreck stuff. That, yeah, that does sound like a lot of fun. You know what? Why not? Because again, we both, yeah, it's him, and that's what everybody thinks. Everybody pictures that male orc champ. And sure, if that's what you want to roll, sure. And I mean, gender is gender is gender and however you want to play it, but why couldn't there be a female orc champion who steps up and just says, I'm leading my people? We could have like a Joan of Arc type thing or whatever, you know, just no, this orc champion, this is Brienne of Tarth. Nice. I like it. Yeah, that's who this is. Just rolling up in her plate armor and her great sword and breaking everything. Nice. I like that. So we need to let, name our fighter, which we can do later. We'll go ahead and we'll roll her out. By the time we get most of this posted and stuff before we play test, we do plan on putting these characters out. We're going to build some character sheets. So if you want to try to play with these characters, check out our Twitter, our Instagram, our Facebook page. We'll have these up so you can kind of take them, tinker with them. If you need some ready-made NPCs or if you want to hand some PCs out for yourself or some people at your table, we'll have some pre-made character sheets that you can run with. And so you guys can, if you've taken the time to listen to us and listen to us world build and you haven't stepped up to try to world build on your own, then use what we've made for you. See if you like it. Maybe you could world build and homebrew off of our homebrews. Why not? Yeah, that's the best part about doing homebrew is listening to the things that other people make and getting the ideas and saying, oh, that's a cool idea. What if I do this with it? Yeah. To quote Isaac Newton, if we've seen further than others, it's because we've stood on the shoulders of giants. Not claiming to be giants or anything. No, but we're standing on the shoulders of giants. So if you stand on the gnomes that are standing on the shoulders of giants, then perhaps maybe you can get like an extra two feet of vision over the tree. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's giants all the way down. Exactly. And then one turtle. And then but one, one of those really small ones. <laughs> so I think that's what we've got for today, guys. Thank you for following with us. 
Yeah, I think next time we're going to try and do something something a little bit more abstract, maybe a little world building before we jump into our next character in our showcase. Just do one episode not focusing on the mechanics of something for a little bit, for a little change of pace. Give everybody a breath of fresh air before we dive back into the mechanics of our showcase characters. Sounds fun to me. Thank you for joining us for the Undercommon Taste podcast. If you enjoyed it, please pass it along to your friends. If you have comments, corrections, suggestions, or ideas, please feel free to send them to us at undercommontaste at gmail.com. If we like your idea, it may make it into a future episode. You can also find us on Twitter under the handle at UCT Homebrew and on Instagram and Facebook under Undercommon Taste. Our theme music is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Crowell and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marycrowell.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash drmarycrowell. Again, thank you for joining us, and stay safe. You'll hear from us again soon.